Oh, Lord, we are thankful for your sweet presence this morning. Reminded of all of your promises that are yes and amen in Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for coming back to life. Thank you. Because that makes it all possible. That makes life possible. That makes eternity in heaven possible. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we're going to come to you in your, through your word, and you're going to come to us through what you have to say, and we're also going to come to the table that have the elements of your body, the bread and the cup. Lord, let today speak to us, and let our lives be drawn ever so closer to you from today. We love you. And we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you, Lord. We say our lives are devoted to you. Lord, Easter is not some holiday on the calendar, but it's written in history. It's a day and a time that that commemorates the the celebration of real life in Christ. So Lord, those of us with families in our home, with children and others, we say, Lord, our lives are devoted to you. Lord, we don't need to be entertained today. Our hearts just need to be assured that there's a God and there's a Savior who loves us. May we deeply know that today. May our children and their and their lives be pointed in your direction. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today, let every house say that. We will serve the Lord. We will serve you, our Lord. We honor you and we thank you now. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You can say amen from home. A lot of you sent me texts last week saying amen. A lot of you putting up some comments saying amen. So amen and amen to you. Uh, let it be spread across today. Wow, it is Easter Sunday, church. Easter Sunday has come. And yeah, I know it, it's not what we, the way we wanted it to be. Um, we're making the most of it. We're making the most of it. And uh, at the end, we're going to come to the Lord's table and have communion. You should have some communion elements by now. If not, run to your kitchen and get something that resembles bread, crackers, juice, or something along those lines. And, um, so, and you can be ready to join us as we, as, as we end the message here in a little while. And 
Pastor Lindsay will be coming back up at the end because we need to make sure we're all staying connected and, and that we have those opportunities and the tools and the resources to do that. And so she's going to remind us how we can do that and uh, keep us connected. So very, very important that we do that. Listen, we're going to get into the Word today for Easter. And um, this is my 28th Easter as a, as a Christian. My 28th Easter. And I was thinking about that this morning and just thankful. For 28 years, I've had the privilege of getting to know the Lord. You know, the thing about Him is we, we can't exhaust Him. There's, there's so much, over 31,000 verses to know about Him. And there's always something new every day and every year at this time that comes to light. And, and I'm so, so glad for that. And um, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. How about you? How many Easter's for you? Um, tell us. Share us. Email us. Let us know. Text us. How many Easter's you've been walking with God now? And that'll, that'll be amazing. That'll be helpful to us to know that. Listen, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles or your smartphones, whatever you've got going for you, to the uh, Gospel of John chapter 20. The Gospel of John chapter 20. And while you're getting turned there, I'm going to um, intro a few verses into this uh, message today. Um, the first one is one of the verses that we've been leaning on for direction uh, in this series, it's called Great Expectations. And uh, it's 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where Paul says three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. The last couple of weeks, we have focused on these things. We focused on faith. Last week was on hope. Today, we're going to focus in on love. And I've titled today's message, Lifted by the great love of God. Lifted by the great love of God. Famous verse, John three sixteen. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. An old hymn of mine, that, that, that uh, a favorite of mine that has stuck with me for as long as I can recall, um, called Love Lifted Me, written by James Rowe over 100 years ago in 1912. The chorus is simple. I won't sing it because I want you to come back and watch the service again next week. But it's, the chorus is simple. It said, love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. The love of God, the great love of God lifts our life. And how can we be sure that this love of God can reach us? How can you be sure this love can reach you? Well, Paul really proclaims it in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. He says, Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as as the scriptures said, love died for our sins. Love was buried. Love was raised from the tomb on the third day for us so that we could have eternal life with our God and our creator. Resurrection. The American um, theologian Frederick Bickner said this. He said, resurrection means the worst thing 
is never the last thing. Resurrection, rising from the dead, the lifting up from death to life shows us that, that, that God's great love can lift us up from the gravities that this world imposes upon us. You know, God, he doesn't really like to see his children be held down from the gravities that this world puts on us. And resurrection, resurrection is proof that things like death, sorrow, fear, things like doubt, things like insecurity, things like, you know, regret, shame, those things don't have the final word, but the thing that does is God's great love. Resurrection is really proof of that, that those things though they try to weigh us down and though they happen to us and they're very real to us and some of those things are real to us right now and we're experiencing some of those things, they don't have the final word. No, God's love has the final word. The written resurrection is proof of that. You know, the resurrection story, and we're going to look at it here in John's Gospel, chapter 20, and also a little bit in John chapter 21. This resurrection story, according to John It deals directly with four gravities that try to hold us and try to weigh our life down. Gravities such as sorrow, fear, doubt, shame, and regret. We're going to look at each one of these. I invite you to look at at the word with me today in John 20. We're going to look and start in verse 11. Now this this whole account is Resurrection Sunday. Uh, So it was early on that Sunday morning. It was still dark and it said Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And here's what what happened. It said, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. Verse 14, she turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, She said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. And then it changed. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out to him, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. Sorrow. Mary Magdalene was affected by sorrow. The tragedy of Her Lord, he had died. And she had gone to the tomb to see what was going on, to check on him and to do all the preparations that were needed for this. And when she got to the tomb, she saw the stone had been rolled away. And when she looked in, she didn't see him. She saw a gardener, what looked appear to be a gardener. And she was crying. She was weeping. She was sad. She was sorrowful. Sorrow is no stranger to the human soul. Sorrow is no stranger to us. Sorrow is, is, a, is distress that's caused by loss, caused by affliction, and caused by disappointment or disappointments. Sorrow. And Jesus, disguised as the gardener, asked, why are you crying? Why are you sorrowful? And maybe the question can be asked to us today as well. What makes you sorrowful today? Are you struggling with deep sorrow 
with deep anguish, with deep grief. You know, just as sorrow is no stranger to us, sorrow was no stranger to Jesus. Jesus encountered sorrow. At the time of Lazarus' death, one of his good friends, it was noted that Jesus actually cried. He wept. He wept. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night of his betrayal, when he went to pray with his disciples, he told his disciples, he said, hey, my soul is crushed with grief. Sometimes sorrow is hard to put a description on because of the things that happen that cause it, the distresses from loss, from afflictions, from disappointments in our life. Sorrows seem to happen and weigh us down. Even on the cross, Jesus was hanging in the final hour on the cross of agony. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was feeling such sorrow. Sorrow is no stranger to us. It was no stranger to Jesus. It was no stranger to Mary. And Jesus knew that. And right here at the resurrection, right off the bat, Jesus deals, love deals directly with sorrow. And he says her name. He says Mary. And then you see the story, the script just flips. You see when she recognized how love called her name. She heard how love spoke her name, Mary. And immediately sorrow was lifted off of her because they go into a little bit more of an exchange and Jesus says, hey, I need you to go and tell the rest of the disciples that I'm alive. I'm alive. And that's the, story, that's the charge Mary gets. And the, first she was sorrowful, of course. It was warranted. Sorrow is warranted. But Jesus' love came and lifted sorrow from her life and then gave her a purpose. Hey, go tell the others, I'm no longer dead, but I am alive. Can you see that smile on Mary's face, those tears being wiped away by the precious hand of the Savior and saying, Mary, no longer do you need to weep. No longer do you need to cry. No longer does your soul need to feel sorrow because I'm not dead. I am alive, Mary. You have seen me again and go tell the rest they shall see me as well. The great love of God has the power to lift sorrow from us and bring joy into our lives. That's not just some kind of a Christian cliche to say about having joy in our life. No, God wants his people to have joy in their life. In fact, Jesus was prepping his disciples earlier in the Gospel of John in chapter 16 He was telling them, he said, hey, let me make it quite clear. You will weep and be overcome with grief over what happens to me. And this unbelieving world will be happy, but you will be filled with sorrow. But know this, your sadness will turn into joy when you see me again. Your sadness will turn into joy when you see me again. You ever felt like that? You feeling sorrowful, but people all around you seem to be happy, seem to be you know, everything's going okay for them, but inside you feel surrounded by these happy people and inside you are feeling sorrowful. And Jesus was saying, you're gonna feel that way, 
But here's the thing, the promise is this, when you see me again, your sadness will be turned into joy. And one of the famous preaching psalms, Psalm 30 verse 5, in the second part of that says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Joy comes with the morning. You know, that, that, when you live that, when you experience that, that becomes more than some cliche scripture that gets spouted off in, the, in a bad time of life. Because when you really experience mourning, grief, and sorrow, and then you see the exchange of that and see how the love of God lifts sorrow and releases joy, you begin to understand that that is a good promise from our God. That, mourn, that, that weeping may last for the night but there's always the promise of tomorrow. The sun will rise, hope will rise, love will come, and love will lift sorrow from our life. You know, the love of God is greater than any sorrow we may face due to loss, due to affliction, due to disappointments. Those things try so hard to hold us down and keep us down, but you cannot suppress, you cannot compress, and you cannot keep the love of God held down. The empty grave, the empty tomb is proof. Resurrection proves it has the final say. Love has the final word. Sorrow is not permanent. The joy of God through his love in Christ is real. And it can lift sorrow from our life. The resurrection also deals directly with another gravity. The gravity of fear. The gravity of fear. Look on down in verse 19. It says that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace. Be with you, he said. Peace be with you. Jesus appears to his disciples on that Sunday evening of his resurrection. Fear had gripped them. Rightly so. Their mentor, their leader, their Lord, their teacher, their rabbi was dead. Even though he had spent some time preparing them and telling them, hey, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. You need to be ready and you need to, you need to be watchful. But yet the reality set in and fear came right there with it. What fears do you have today? A lot of fears going on in this world. There are a lot of outlets that live off of producing fear for people to create panic and fear. But fear's real. It is a real thing, but it doesn't have to be lasting in our life. We don't have to be ruled by it. We don't have to be overwhelmed by it. What fears do you have? Maybe the fear of dying. Maybe the fear of failing. The fear of missing out. Maybe you, you fear getting sick, especially right now in this day and time. Maybe your fear is you're, you may go bankrupt because maybe you've been laid off your job has been put on a hold and you don't have the promise of a paycheck right now. Maybe you fear losing everything. Maybe you fear the future. Maybe you fear the unknown. Maybe you fear not ever getting married. Maybe you fear of never being able to have children. What do you fear? You know, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, Scripture is very clear. God is very clear. And He promises to be with us through whatever you and I may go through. 
check some of these verses out from Psalm 23. The Lord, David prayed and he said, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me. It says, you remain close to me and you lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away all my fear. I'll never be lonely for you are near. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Don't be afraid, the Lord says, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Isaiah 43, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine, says the Lord. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, there's another in the fire with you. You won't be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I am the Lord, your God. Romans 8, 37. Despite all these things, what things? Things we go through, things we, that happen to us. It says overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. In 1 John four eighteen, perfect love, the love of God expels all fear from our life. Cast it all out. Perfect love. Cast it all away. Jesus comes to his disciples as they're locked behind these doors afraid and he says, peace. Peace. In your moment of fear, in your time of fear, the peace of God wants to come in. You may lock the door, fear tries to lock the door, but the peace of God just bypasses the door, bypasses the lock like Jesus did, and steps into your room and will fill your life. Peace be with you. The great love of God lifts fears from us and releases peace within us. You know, when we are confronted with the reality of fear, the Bible tells us to pray. You know, prayer, prayer can be said and described in different ways, but one of the ways it can be described is prayer is really drawing close to the love of God. Prayer, when you pray, you're drawing yourself close to the great love of God. And David said this in Psalm 34. He said, I pray to the Lord and he frees me from my fears. And Paul in Philippians 4 teaches us to pray about everything. Pray about everything, whatever it might be. To you, you might think it's silly. To you, you might think, this is stupid. Why would I pray to God about this? Or to you, it may be really huge and, and, and insurmountable and, just, and, and gigantic in your life. Pray about it. Because fear is no stranger to us. Fear is no stranger to us. In exchange for praying, when we pray and we come to God, we draw near to the love of God, 
Paul says, hey, you will get, instead of worry and fear, you will gain God's peace. He said, the peace of God will rule and reign in your heart and in your mind. The peace of God, the love of God is greater than any fear you and I may face. And it lifts fear from us and brings freedom and peace within us. The resurrection deals with the gravity of another thing called doubt. Look at this down in verse 24. It says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, he was not with the others when Jesus came the first time. And they told him, hey, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, hey, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Well, then eight days later, it says the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. Said the doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he said this to Thomas. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. And then he says this, almost commanding him, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Just believe. And famously, Thomas's words, my Lord and my God. It hit him. The light bulb went off. His eyes were open. He was believing what they had told him. And Jesus told him, hey, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Doubt. Oh my goodness, doubt. This last week, one of the lessons for one of my daughters in language was the study of prefixes. Um, they were studying um, non and un and dis to go with certain words and to put them in the right way. And the word doubt has prefixes. It means to be uncertain. It means to distrust. Thomas, as throughout the years, have, has gained the nickname Doubting Thomas. He said, hey, unless I see it, then I'm not going to believe it. And through the story there that we just read, right at the week of the resurrection, Jesus tells Thomas, hey, Thomas, really what I want, I just want you to believe. And I think the Lord is telling us that, and he has been telling us that, hey, don't doubt. Right now in a time of uncertainty, in a time of unknowns, in a time where fears and doubts try to rule and reign, just believe me. Believe me. Have faith. You know, Jesus is no stranger to this thing called doubt. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus heals a young man who was demon-possessed. He cast the demon out of him. Well, the disciples were first asked to do that, and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus did it. And then afterwards, they're asking Jesus, hey, why couldn't we cast out this demon and this boy? And Jesus tells them, hey, if you would just have faith as small as a mustard seed, then you could tell that mountain to move, and that mountain would move. Well, we know from the parable of the mustard seed earlier in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 13, the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds. But it goes on to describe that. What happens is that mustard seed, when planted and it grows over time, it becomes the largest garden tree out there. 
so that the birds of the air can come and make their home, their nest inside that tree. So what is Jesus trying to get across to us today? What was he saying to Thomas at this time? He said, well, look, what looks small on the outside, on the inside it contains the power and the potential to really be large. And Jesus is just wanting us, just like he told Thomas, if you would just have mustard seed faith. Though it looks small, but on the inside it has all the potential to really be huge. Then you could say to this or to that, and it would follow. Faith, belief, the great love of God lifted doubt off of Thomas, and he, his eyes were open. My Lord and my God, you can do it all. You can do anything. You're no longer dead, but you are alive. God is bigger, folks. We give him credit for half the time. God is greater than, than most of the times we acknowledge he is so supreme, so big, and the great love of God can lift doubt from us and release faith, trust, certainty, belief on the inside of us. The resurrection, the lifting of life, God's love also deals with another gravity, shame and regret. This one is in the next chapter in John 21. This is an exchange between Jesus and Peter. Very personal, and very private, but yet we're able to read about it because John wrote about it. And I'm thankful for this because shame and regret is no stranger either to the human heart. Some of us have been carrying shame and regret around for a long time. And the good news on Easter Sunday is, hey, love has come. You don't have to carry it around anymore. Peter was carrying shame. Peter was carrying regret. Look at what, what, he, uh, what this exchange is all about here. John 21, verse 15, it says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. And then Jesus said, well, then take care of my sheep. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And on down in verse 20, Peter turned around and he saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. This is John, who had leaned over to Jesus during the Last Supper and asked him, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, hey, what about him? What do you think about him? And Jesus said, hey, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? As for you, as for you, follow me. Peter was struggling with shame and regret. He had denied the Lord three times. What about you? You have regrets? Are you dealing with shame? What's going on in your life today? You know, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. And he likes nothing more than do every single day. What he loves to do is to accuse us night and day. He likes to constantly remind us of all the bad we are. Of all the mistakes we've made. 
of all the things we've gotten wrong in our life. Could have just been something that happened before church this morning. And the devil wants nothing more than just to make you feel guilty and make you feel bad and make you feel condemned so that you won't go to the Lord. But we have this great confidence before God that we can go to his throne of grace and we can receive mercy in our time of need because of his love for us. The devil may be the accuser, but Jesus is the forgiver. And so Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And each time the answer was yes. And with each answer, Jesus gives Peter and he gives us purpose. He is reassuring Peter of his love and reassuring Peter of his purpose. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then care for my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Absolutely. I'm a little hurt that you asked me three times, but yes, I love you. Then Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus was just reassuring Peter that the denials were no longer going to play in his future. That from now on, the love of God had moved in, and the love of God was lifting Peter, lifting shame, lifting regret, and reassuring Peter that he still had a purpose. Because he ends that conversation with Peter, don't worry about John the Beloved. Don't worry about what he has to say or what I have for him. Peter, I'm worried right now for you, and I'm talking to you. Just follow me Peter, just follow me. You're forgiven and you're free. Well, if you go on about 10 days later, you begin to see Acts chapter 2 break out. The day of Pentecost, God pours out his Holy Spirit on the earth. The church is birthed, but Peter is the first preacher. He preaches his first sermon. And guess how many people got born again? How many people got saved? 3,000 people. Maybe you could look at it like A thousand people for every denial that Peter made. Three thousand. What does that go to show us today? That you and I may have some real regret. You and I may have some real shame hanging in our life. But the love of God goes over the top to reassure us that we are forgiven, that we are free, and that God still has a purpose for you. There's somebody here today watching, listening, and, 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 and doubting, hey, can God still use me? Can good still come from my marriage? Can good still come from my home? Can good still come out of my life? I've made a mess of things. I've made a debacle of things. There are things that aren't right in my heart and in my past. But God wants to reassure you today that if you will open your life up, open your heart up, and let the love of God be poured into you, he will lift shame, he will lift regret off of you, and he will set you free, and he will restore unto you to live the purpose that he had created you for. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy enemy, the accuser, who says you can't. Listen to the one who died for you, who was buried for you, and who was raised from the grave for you, who says, I've come back from the grave. Behold, I hold the keys of death and the grave, and I once was dead, but I am alive. Listen to the one who actually overcame on your behalf, and he wants to restore his love and his forgiveness and his purpose back into your life. There's nothing that could ever separate you or I from the great love of God. His great love lifts shame and regret off of us so that they're not heavy, so that we can live and we can pursue the purpose and the plan 
and the life that God has for our life. You know, as a Christian, some people think sometimes we should be exempt from having to deal with the gravities of sorrow or fear or doubt or shame or regret, but it's really not the case. I want to close with a poem called I Am a Christian. It's, the author is unknown, so I can't give credit. But it says, when I say that I am a Christian, I am not shouting that I am clean living. I'm whispering, I was lost, but now I'm found and forgiven. When I say I am a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and need his strength to carry on. Oh, when I say that I'm a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting I have failed and need God to clean my mess. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say I am a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartaches, so I call upon his name. When I say I am a Christian... I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who received God's good grace somehow. The love of God lifts sorrow, lifts fear, lifts doubt, lifts shame, lifts regret, it lifts sin off of our life. The great love of God. Would you pray with me? I want to pray with you today as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Right where you are, just bow your heads. If you've got your family with you, just ask everybody to gather and bow your heads. Oh God, through and through your word, you are trying to get across to us that you love us. You really do love us. And I pray today that your great love would truly fill our life fresh anew today. Lord, I know for me it's 28 Easter's. For others it may be longer or fewer. But may this never get old. May this story never get stale. Fresh love today. May that be real in our hearts. As your love comes, lift from us sorrow. Lord, there's some sorrow in our hearts. Lift it from us. Bring joy. Lift fear. Where we're plagued by it, lift it off of us and bring your peace, your reassurance that you're with us. Lift doubt. Oh, Lord, and bring trust. Let us know you've got this. You're on it. You can handle it. Let your love, Lord, lift shame. Lift our regrets, our shoulda, coulda, wouldas, Lord. Lift all of that off. Oh, and bring forgiveness. A fresh start in our heart. Restore your purpose. 
back into our lives. We would live for something greater than ourselves. Your love compels us to live for you. Lift us, Lord, lift us. Lift us when nothing else could help. Your love, lift us. In Jesus' name, amen.